Hi, my name is Bio, and Bread and Tea is the audio journaling of my Bible study. Bread, because the bread of life, and tea, because sometimes I shake tables and hot tea will pour on your lap. You can follow me on Twitter at Bio underscore OG, or read more about what I talk about here on my Medium blog titled Church Series. Alright, have fun. Hi guys and welcome to another episode of Bread and Tea. Um, so today's episode, or I don't know, it's not today, it could be this week, but this particular episode, right, um, is titled The Purpose of the Bible and um, it's also a case study of the book of Genesis. Um, when I say Genesis, it's, I'm, I'm ideally talking about the creation accounts right in genesis i'm going to focus on the creation account and um, i'm going to touch on the book of exodus a bit to illustrate something very interesting right so um this particular episode is in response to a question and some reactions that i got on twitter if (laughs) same as the last episode right um, so what was the question? The question was, um, somebody came up on Twitter and said, um, is there a manual to relationships? Now, the relationships they were talking about here was romantic relationships, right? So you know how people um, talk about God when on Twitter or, you know, all those romantic relationship banter, right? So this person was just asking, you know, in a tweet, is there a manual for relationships? Like, how are we meant to do relationships? You know, probably how do you have a successful relationship? You know, how do you get a partner? All that kind of banter, right? So um, I noticed a lot of Christians were replying on that, under that tweet and saying, oh, the Bible is a, a manual for relationships. Oh, there is instructions in the Bible. And, you know, they were doing this innocently. While I don't think <clears throat> that is 100% um, incorrect or inaccurate, I I also think it is 100% incorrect and inaccurate. And I'll explain why. I mean, that's the purpose of this entire episode, right? To explain the purpose of the Bible. And when I'm done explaining the purpose of the Bible, I then do a short case study on the creation account. Everything ties back together, right? Everything is a single episode and it will all make sense at the end. So um, what can you expect from um, this particular episode. So um, I have outlined five things that I am going to do with this episode. And those five things are, um, one, I'd spell out the purpose of the Bible. I'd tell you plainly what the purpose of the Bible is so that there is no doubt about it, right? The second thing I'll do is a shallow and brief expose on the history of the Bible as a human book and what that means for us. So um, I will just do a very short and brief, shallow commentary on the history of the Bible. The reason why it's going to be shallow and brief is because um, I have only just recently started studying about the um, historical development of the Bible. So, and there is a lot of um, terminologies 
blah 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 going on in there so if I, if i try to go deep into that i would do past myself and teach you nonsense but um the shallow one i'll give you will be sufficient for this particular episode right so it will make sense the third thing i'm going to do is i'm going to um outline the literary books in the bible um what do i mean by literary books so you know how there are types of books in the world today there are biographies there are um poems they are um they are they are poems they are what they call this other one prose yeah so different types of books right you wouldn't read a poem the same way you'd read a biography right so i'm going to outline the literary um styles in the bible and how we can read those styles correctly right after that we then do the example with the book of genesis right we we'll do an example with the book of genesis touch a bit on exodus and then we'll all tie it up in a lovely bow of how all of these things relate to god's salvation plan for man so at the end of this episode the expectation is that your bible study would have been greatly helped right um let's just note that i'm not claiming to be the monopoly on um bible knowledge as i i think at the introduction of every episode um i say that this is um an audio journaling right of my personal bible study so the things i discover that i am growing by are simply the things i am sharing with you so these things have helped my bible study so the expectation is at the end of this episode when you are done listening you know your own bible study would also have been greatly helped so i'd go into it now oh before i do that i just want to give a shout out to all those who helped to push the last episode it was such a huge success such a huge success um shout out to my international community i hear some of you are not i hear i see the data right about 16%, right? I think it's more than 16%. I know just 40, about 49% of my estimated audience comes from Nigeria. The rest are international. So to my Canada folks, UK folks, surprisingly Saudi Arabia folks, Turkey folks, Ghana. Ghana is falling in my hand because Ghana's stats was very low. But basically, thank you to everyone who helps to push this Thank you to everyone who has ever listened. And if you are a first-time listener, welcome. I would advise you listen to the other messages. Um, particularly, um, what's the name of that episode again? Um, the last episode. Yeah, not so frequently asked questions. That is my favorite episode so far. But all of them are good content. Trust me, they are good content. So yeah, I will dive into this now with the very first point. And um, if at any point you notice that I'm raising my voice or I'm speaking very fast, um, uh, just know it's normal. I'm not angry. And uh, it's just normal when I talk about something that I am passionate about. Um, I get those reactions. So um, jumping straight into the very first point, which is the purpose of the Bible, right? I mean, why was the Bible written in the first place? For instance, if... Adebayo now, Adebayo Lujabi, Bayo of the Holy Spirit, decides to write an autobiography about himself. 
the purpose of writing that autobiography would be i want people to know me right i want people to know what my life was about maybe i want them, i want to teach them you know how to overcome certain life challenges because i have learned how to overcome those challenges maybe i want to be remembered for a long time right and that's why i'm writing an autobiography or maybe i'm writing it to my mentees so that it would help them as they grow and are trying to walk in my shoes Whatever the purpose, basically, what I'm saying is every book that is written has a purpose. It's ridiculous that somebody will say, I wrote this book without a purpose. Even if you say that, without a purpose is a purpose, right? Whatever reason, right, every book has a purpose. So the Bible being a book also has a purpose. So I'm going to be explaining that purpose to us, right? And to understand the purpose, that is the intention, the objective of the Bible, we must first talk about the human condition. Now, to talk about the human condition, I'm going to draw on two painful experiences, right, that have been making the waves on social media, two painful experiences. And one of them is, or rather, the first of them is the Heine um, Umoren case. That is the lady, I think 26-year-old lady, that got murdered, was kidnapped and was murdered. She was tricked um, by a terrible, terrible person that, you know, she should come for a job interview and she was raped and murdered. That's the first painful experience I'm going to draw on. The second painful experience is the case of the Babai Jesha case, the um, sexual assault case, right? That's the second one I'm going to draw on. And I'm drawing on these cases to illustrate the human condition. Recall that the purpose of the reason why I am trying to explain the human condition is because I want to tell you what the purpose of the Bible is, right? Good. Now, those two experiences, I'm going to explain them with this. If a person has malaria, right? Some of the symptoms of malaria you'd see are probably cold and catar, headache, body pain, a fever, to name a few, right? If the person decides, that is the malaria patients, decides to take paracetamol and um, maybe Actifed and some other things to take away the fever and the cold, right? It would work temporarily. That's correct, right? But fundamentally, the person has malaria. So if the person wants to stop seeing those symptoms permanently, what they have to do is to attack the malaria and not the symptoms. Where am I going with this? The Heine Imuren case and the Babai Jesha case are symptoms of the human condition. The big challenge we have in society today is we are isolating cases, right? And trying to solve them in isolation. We are picking out symptoms versus attacking the root cause. I don't know if that makes sense to you. So I'm saying there is a root cause and everything we are seeing in society is the symptoms of that root cause. The same way the malaria parasite is what is responsible for the cold and catar you are seeing, the headache or the fever you are feeling, right? So if you want to solve the problem, if you want to solve the human condition, the way to go about it is not by saying, I mean, I am an advocate of 
punishing anybody who rapes or who kills or kidnaps. I'm an advocate for that so that nobody thinks I'm saying um, we shouldn't punish these guys. But I'm saying that there is a more permanent solution that we should be chasing. So that said, the human condition is that on a daily basis, we are faced with choices. And those choices at the very basic level are both are good and evil. And every time the man, the human being, right, chooses evil. That's what the Bible means when it says the heart of man is desperately wicked. I've explained that Bible verse to you and I hope it makes more sense, right? So that is the human condition. How did we get here, right? It's part of the things the Bible explains, right? But for now, just take this as the human condition that we are constantly faced with choices on a daily basis and we always choose the bad choices, right? I'll give you another example. There was this time I was coming back home from work, right? I was in traffic in a car. Um, in a public car, right? Not a bus, not downfall. It was a public car, right? I don't know why I'm emphasizing that, but it was a public car. And um, there were these military men. Um, they were escorts for, I don't know whoever it was, but I assume a, governor, a government official. They, were, they came down from their military vans and they were with whips. They were whipping people out of the way. They were hitting cars, telling them to move out of the way. You know, how they, they were trying to clear the road for the government official. Everybody in the traffic, uh, they were, look, that traffic was such a gridlock. There were a lot of people in the traffic. You can comfortably say there were over 100,000 people in that traffic, right? So this is just like 12 military men and a few government officials putting or holding to ransom over 100,000 people. These 100,000 people knew that what was happening was wrong, right? But we didn't do anything about it. All of us sat down there and we took it. I mean, people complained in the car. People said, oh, this is wrong. Oh, this government. Oh, that. Oh, they don't care about the poor. ETC, ETC. But bottom line, everybody sat down there and took it. Why? So what I'm trying to illustrate with this is many times as human beings, we like to tell ourselves, I make my own decisions. I do what I want to do. But the truth of the matter is we are programmed, right, by our circumstances. We are programmed by events that happen to us, right? And those programs become our culture. What am I getting at at this? The fact that everybody in that traffic jam understood that what was happening was wrong and our instincts, right, was do something about it. But in the end, we did not do anything about it is a way we can prove that on the fundamental level, human beings are programmed, right? Which takes us back to the human condition that every day we are faced with choices, good and evil, but we have been programmed by events and circumstances to always pick evil. Now, that is the human condition, right? I think I have explained it as logically as I can at this point in time. So, what is the consequence of this human condition? I'm sorry, before we go there, how did we come about the human condition? So, we do a bit of history into the Bible when the Bible tells us that um, God created the entire universe 
and many times we hear God say, it was good, it was good. He created light, it was good. He created vegetation, it was good. He created man, it was good. So at what point did we get the program, right, to automatically pick evil every time? We all know the popular story, right? Adam and Eve disobeyed and they ate the fruit God told them not to eat. I want to do a short, this is, was originally not part of um, today's episode, but allow me to do a short commentary on what, it, on what God meant when he said, if you eat this fruit, you will surely die. Now, when God said that to Adam and Eve, he told them, if you eat this fruit, you will die. When they ate the fruit, I mean, the puzzling question is, did they die, right? No. Physically, Adam and Eve did not die. We heard about them continuously. They went ahead to have Cain and Abel and, um, and Seth, right? They had three kids after they ate the fruit. So was God lying when he said that man was going to die? Most definitely not. So I have explained this with an illustration and it would have been very good if this was a video where I could write the illustration on a board, but I'll do this as, as um, best as I can. So when God spoke about death to Adam and Eve, right, it was a tripatriate death. Now, stay with me. When God created man, his intention was not for man to die, right? We know that death is an invention of sin. How can I say that for certain? The Bible says the wages of sin is death, right? So we know that death is an invention of sin. So how did man die? when he disobeyed God and ate the fruits, right? Man died body, soul, and spirit. Now, I have used this illustration to teach children before, and the children I teach are children between the ages of 9 to 11, and they understood it. So I'm very sure if I teach you guys, you guys will understand it also, right? So man died body, soul, and spirit. And as we go deeper into today's episode, you would see how the purpose of the Bible is to revive, or to put it in better words, to resurrect body, soul, and spirit. Now, how did man die in the body? That one is the very obvious death we see everywhere, right? Man begins to age, man's body is plagued by sickness and disease, and eventually man dies in the body, right? So that one makes sense to everybody. Everybody knows how man dies in the body. How does man die in the soul? To explain that, let us first understand what we use the soul for. So the soul is a part of human existence that controls or that makes up our emotions, right? And we experience the entire creation with our emotions. Anger, love, um, sadness, happiness, whatever it is, right? So how did man die in his soul? Immediately after the fall, we started to see that man started to experience negative emotions. Case in point, fear. Another case in point, hatred. Where did we see fear first illustrated in the Bible? After man had eaten of the fruits and God called out to him, where are you? He said, I am hiding, I am scared because I am naked, right? That was the first time we ever heard fear mentioned in the Bible, right? So how about hatred? 
we hear again this is a very brief commentary if i go deeper in this it will make more sense but that's not the point of today's lesson right today's lesson is the purpose of the bible so how about hatred we see hatred was formed in cain and as a matter of fact god warned him he said hatred is in your heart that sin is at your door and if something is not done about it you would eventually fall it was the hatred that led cain to kill his brother right so we know that every action that man takes comes from an emotion it comes from a thoughts there's no action you ever take that was not preconceived in your mind right so we see how the soul died the soul we started to experience negative emotions that lead to negative um, things right and when we do negative things now when the bible there's a particular bible verse Pardon me, I'm not going to quote the um, book or chapter or verse, right? I'm just going to, um, what's it called? I'm going to, I'm going to say it off head. The word is not coming to me. There's a particular Bible verse that says the entire creation groans, waiting for God to come back. You know why the entire creation is groaning? I mean, if we look around, we can clearly see that the entire earth is groaning under the consequences of sin. You know why the entire creation is groaning? Because the consequences of negative emotions, the consequences of bad decisions do not just affect me. They affect everybody and everything that was created. Why? Because when God created the earth, he put man in his stead to rule over the earth and told man, have dominion over everything I have created. So for every time man makes a bad decision, for every time man through his programming chooses evil instead of good creation is affected i mean we can see it spiritually and we can see it physically going from global warming to all the rape cases we hear to the different perverted sexual orientations we see today to the addictions to the killings we see the entire creation groaning under mankind's terrible decisions somebody gave a quote and said man right is the only creation that has ever created weapons to kill man and that quote stuck with me right we see that every other thing that god has created stands still obeys the commands of god for instance the sun was meant to give was meant for times and seasons as the sun the moon the stars they still do that right what god told the oceans they still do that this firmament is still in its place it still does that the plant still grows this their seed is still within the same fruit they still do that so the entire creation worships the creator but the ruler that is man who god has put instead in his stead to rule over creation is in open rebellion to the creator and his bad decisions despite the worship of the rest of creation is jeopardizing the entire creation and the bible says the entire creation the entire earth groans desperately waits for the coming of god right so i have explained how the body died i have explained how the soul died now i'm going to explain how the spirit died right this part can be a bit complicated right so i'm going to okay okay this is how we are going to do it 
this is going to be a very shallow note i'm saying shallow a very shallow um explanation of the spirit right of of man's spirit the reason why i'm calling it shallow is because it's a bit complicated and i don't like to explain complicated things until i have mastered them totally but i'd i'd, I'd have to do this so that we have an understanding of of um how the spirit relates into the entire creation now in the book of Genesis, we've not started the um, case study of Genesis because I keep mentioning Genesis all the time, right? In the book of Genesis, the Bible tells us in the beginning, the Spirit of God hovered over the earth. Now, the Spirit of God hovering over the earth, the Hebrew translation, right? We must know at this point that the Bible was originally written in Hebrew. The Hebrew word for spirit is a word called ruach. There's a at the end right ruach and ruach is a hebrew word that in its um in another form can be seen as breath right so basically when the bible starts to say that god spoke things into existence and it says his spirit moved over the over the surface of of of, of the of the deep right you can start to tie the relationship between god speaking the spirit of God and the breath of God, right? So if God created through divine command, that is by speaking things into existence, you can start to see a relationship between speaking breath and the spirit. You can also start to see the relationship between when God breathed into man and man became a living being, right? And what is necessary to become a living being? The spirit. Why am I explaining it this way? Because I want to tell you that when man was created, what was given to him when God breathed into him was the Spirit of God, right? And the Spirit, right, is mankind is basically spirit being, right? Basically a spirit in a human container, in a physical body, right? So the Spirit is usually is what controls your emotions, right? The Spirit you have... For example, um, anyone born of God does not sin because he's a child of God. I'm trying to explain this as basically as I can, right? So pardon me that I'm babbling through the points. So basically, when you have the Spirit of God, the idea is you have the nature of God. Perfect. That's what I was looking for, right? You have the nature of God, meaning when you are faced with two options, good and evil, because you have the nature of God, because you have the programming of God, you would always choose good. But when you have the spirit of disobedience, when you are faced with two natures, that is good and evil, you would always speak evil, right? So when mankind was created, God breathed his spirit into him and man had the spirit of God, right? So he was meant to rule in God's stead over the earth with the spirit of God. So if you have ever heard Bible teachers say that in the beginning, heaven and earth was united, right? The realm, the realm of heaven and the realm of earth was uh, they intersected what it means is mankind right being the ruler of earth has the spirit of god who is a heavenly being on his inside so heaven and earth intersected on the account of man all this is complicated so let's just go back to you know the simple stuff that i was explaining right so when man sinned when man disobeyed by eating the fruit that god told him not to eat some of us have said that, you know, God was too judgmental. He took it to the extreme. All he did was eat a fruit. No. 
what it means, the implication and significance of eating the fruit is God said, if I eat it, I would die. The Satan said, if I eat it, I would not die. I have chosen to believe the Satan and in effect, I have called God a liar. What it means is that I have... I don't want to use that word. I have, this, I have in my mind stripped God of his authority as God. What does that mean? God is God because he holds sovereignty, right? He is the only one who decides what is good and evil. So if he tells you that is evil and you decide that no, this is good, if we go through the temptation, when Satan was tempting the woman, he said, the Bible makes us know that the fruit became good. It, in her eyes, it became good for eating. She saw that it was good for eating. So, when God has said this is evil, right? And in your mind, you have decided this is good. What it means is, I have decided to be God over myself. I have decided that my decisions are what determine good and evil. I am not going to expand more on that, right? On everybody deciding my truth, your truth, right? We have seen the consequences of that in the world today. You know, this is what I believe is good. This is what I believe is evil. And there is no, there is no standard benchmark. Everybody just does what they want, right? What it means is you have decided that I am in full control of my existence and I do not need God to define good and evil for me anymore. That was the real sin. It wasn't the eating of the fruits. It's not like they stole fruit and God was angry, right? When you understand the significance of the events, you start to, you know, know how we got here as the human race. How did we get here in the first place? So what happened is mankind put off the spirit of obedience. That is the spirit of God that was given to him as creation that rules over him. And he put on the spirit of disobedience. The Bible says um, there was a part, I think it was Jesus talking. It says, and that they are all liars because their father is a liar they have the spirit of disobedience I, i'm sorry i'm paraphrasing a lot but ideally what i'm saying is the body died i have explained that the soul died i have explained that and now the spirit quote and unquote died because there was an exchange right so when god said to adam and eve you will surely die he didn't lie because when you look at it from that point of view mankind died and that is how we got to the current human condition. That is how we see the symptoms that we see in society today from Haini Moran to Baba Ijesha to Black Lives Matter to George Floyd to women being raped to, to a culture that tells women they are not good enough or they should be less or they shouldn't be educated to men going through anxiety. Everything wrong with the world is a symptom of the human condition. And what I have tried to do in the last 30 minutes is explain this to you logically, right? Like the entire purpose of the last 30 minutes was to help believers think logically, right? To think through what they believe in and to help unbelievers quote and unquote to believe right so i hope that was helpful right so that is the human condition right so what then is the purpose of the bible in all of this so i will explain this logically also the purpose of the bible is the same purpose of a medical textbook 
to a medical student. Now, the Bible says, I think, yeah, it's in the book of Romans. I'm paraphrasing too much. And the reason why I'm paraphrasing is because I have my points written down, right? But as I am talking, the Bible verses are just popping into my head. They didn't pop up when I was writing down the points. So now I'm paraphrasing the Bible verses. So I'm sorry about that. So the Bible says, I think it's in the book of Romans, that be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? Let's focus on that for a bit. As a student who wants to become a medical doctor, what do you do? You go to the university, you know, you before the university, right? You spend some years in primary school, secondary school, you know, you're studying textbooks, reading biology. You go to the university, you study medical textbooks, study medical textbooks, you listen to medical teachers, you listen to experienced medical doctors, professors, ETC, and then you finally graduate. And what is the what is the title bestowed on you? Maybe after medical school and housemanship, all of that stuff, all of that stuff. You are called a medical doctor, right? So the purpose of the Bible is to the believer what a medical textbook is to a medical student. The the purpose of the medical textbook is to make a medical student a doctor, right? The purpose of the Bible is to make a believer a full man in Christ. So when people say, that it is by studying your Bible that you become, you know, transformed. Like the Bible says, your mind is transformed by studying the Bible. When someone says, oh, that is ridiculous, how can that happen? It's as stupid as saying that a medical student went to school for those number of years, graduated and they can defend their degree, but you refuse to call them a doctor. That's how stupid it is, right? So the same thing, the same process, I mean, it makes logical sense, and there is really no reason why anybody should argue it. The same reason why people go for MBAs and then come back and expect to be promoted at work. Why? Because now they have a higher level of skill, right? It only makes sense that you promote them and increase their salary. I can imagine paying thousands of dollars for maybe a master's or an MBA, or for those of you writing ICANN or CFA, you have studied over the years, you have, you know, your CFA, you have read, 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 and now CFA puts on you um the the title of chartered financial analyst but somebody says no i don't believe you are a financial analyst i think you um, i i i i i i think you are a, i think you are a shoemaker with no offense to shoemakers right shoemakers make a lot of money and they it's a very um prestigious craft i'm just trying to illustrate something to you no i don't think you are a financial analyst i think you are an illiterate that's how stupid it sounds when somebody says it's not possible for you to be renewed you were not a financial analyst before you started to study those books you didn't know let's assume you didn't know anything right because you may have read a couple of things from google but you were not a professional right you didn't know anything about finance before you didn't know anything about accounting before you became a chartered accountant right the same way as a believer you didn't know anything about salvation You didn't know who you are or could be in Christ before you started to study the Bible, right? So, the purpose of the Bible, right? Stay with me. The way it is the purpose of medical textbooks to transform non-doctors into doctors, right? It is the purpose of the Bible to transform the human condition of disobedience, rebellion, and sin into human beings in the fullness of Christ, into human beings who have been changed internally, 
that they get to a point where when they are presented with options of good and evil, they always pick good, transforming them, renewing their minds and bringing them back to the original state when God created mankind in the garden and put his spirit in man. So I have explained how the body died, how the soul died, and how the spirit died. So if you look at the salvation story, three things are promised. One, a new body is promised. Two, a new spirit is promised. And that spirit is what sanctifies your soul such that you experience new emotions in Christ and live out as a believer. Now, the Bible tells us that when Christ comes again, we will receive a new body, that the body is currently preserved in heaven. So the problem of the body dying will be fixed when Christ comes again. The problem of the spirit being exchanged for the spirit of disobedience, the Bible says when you are born again, you receive the spirit of God. It says the same spirit that was in Jesus Christ now dwells in you. So the problem of the spirit is fixed. And the third one, the soul that is experiencing negative emotions such as hatred, addiction, that occurs through the sanctification process by the spirit of God. Does it make sense? Is it logical? Does it, do, do, does, it, does it start, do you start to see the big picture, right? That this thing is not just about some people who like to form supernatural or who like to form like they are morally upright. It's not an issue of forming. If you are forming, you have not understood and you need to spend more time studying, right? So you start to see God's plan in salvation is a plan to redeem man from an action that he took to his own damnation right so the purpose of the bible is from the book of genesis to revelation and i'm still going to touch more on how we got all those books genesis to revelation when we talk about the shallow history of you know the development of the bible as a human book that we're getting there that's the next point right so from genesis to Gen- to revelation what the Bible is doing is it is a fluid story that shows from the beginning what happened after God created man, how man entered the current human condition, what God did about it, and what is to come. Does it make sense? Right? So, Back to the start of this episode. When somebody says that the Bible is a manual for romantic relationship, it is built off the assumption that the Bible is a one-size-fits-all, answers-to-all-questions book, and it is not. What I always tell people is, if you want to learn about relationships, please pick up books that teach you about relationships. If you want to learn how to be a good entrepreneur, pick up books that teach that. If you want to learn how to be a good marketer, how for Christ's sake, we wouldn't read the Bible to pass CFA exams. Why then would we read the Bible to learn how to be how to be good romantic partners? It is statements of ignorance like this that makes you hear of 
men and women who are spiritually upright, I mean men and women who heal the sick, who perform miracles in the name of Jesus, but they are bad romantic partners. Because you are, you, you know, you are trying to, people as, Christ, as Christians basically, we make the mistake of assuming that because I am experiencing spiritual growth, automatically means I would experience growth in every other area. Bro, there is the help of the Holy Spirit, right? Holy Spirit help my finances. Holy Spirit help my relationship. But if, let me give you an example. If you don't put your hands down and do the work, you will not pass the exam by just praying. If you don't put your hands down and do the work, your relationship would bash. If you don't put your hands down and do the work, you won't be successful in your business. There is the place of divine favor. But do not be foolish to think that it is, it is, it is mutually exclusive from the hard work that you do. Right? I'll give you an example. Some of us think that, you know, especially men on this table that are in the business of going to women to say that God said you are my wife, you know. Maybe you were praying, you saw somebody's face in prayer. Again, God has ordained this woman. So you go to her in the full regalia of your, minist- of your ministerial ignorance and tell, her, <laughs> and tell her God said you are my wife. What do you want her to do about that? Even if God showed you in prayer because it happens that this is your wife, you, don't you know that there is a place of building friendship? There is a place of making this woman like you. I, I, I'll give you an example, right? In the Bible, in the early church, it says the early church, they were praying and fasting. If you read that story well and you expand it properly, you will see that the prayer and fasting was not a one-day event. So they prayed and fasted for a long time. And the Spirit of God, this one is not somebody said, somebody said, the church in general, right? The Spirit ministered to them. The Spirit said, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas. Like, it was the Spirit of God that brought that relationship together. God brought Paul and Barnabas together. God identified them. The same way in our world today, God can identify a man and a woman to be partners, romantic partners. Yes, it happens, right? But if you read down that Bible story, the Bible says Paul and Barnabas had a dispute that they could not resolve and then they separated. Today, when we sing the story, it's not Paul and Barnabas, they prayed. It is Paul and Silas, they prayed. Why? Because Paul and Barnabas separated. Why? Because there was a human problem. The relationship was damaged despite the fact that God called them together. So, man in Christ, woman in Christ, if you want to learn about romantic relationships, if you want to learn about any other thing apart from salvation, see, even if God has showed you in a vision that this is your wife, there is work to be done. Grow, learn, build social skill. Don't go to somebody and say, God said you, were my, you are my wife. And so what? What if she doesn't believe in the God you serve? What if she doesn't like you? We've heard of situations where four men, five men, are meeting one woman saying, God said you are my wife. So who did God speak to? Right? So that is my major concern when people say the Bible is a book for romantic relationship. That's not the purpose of the book. The purpose of the book is 
to show the story, the entire story. There is an overarching story beyond the romantic relationship, beyond childbirth, beyond marriage, beyond um, how much you have in your account. There is an overarching story that God created the world. Somebody tried, something tried to destroy God's creation and this is what God did to save his creation. That's what the Bible is about, right? And by studying that Bible, you go from unbeliever who is ignorant to a full man in Christ. I hope it makes sense so far, right? So that is explaining in full detail what the purpose of the Bible is. Point one, dealt with. We are done with that. So now we'll be moving to point two, which is a shallow study of the history of the development of the Bible as a human book. Now, consciously, or unconsciously the perspective that most of us have about the bible is it dropped out of heaven just take two minutes to think about it you can pause the this thing here right you can pause the broadcast here and just take two minutes to think about it you realize that unconsciously as a matter of fact i'm on this table so don't feel um don't feel like i'm shaking your table i was on this table just a few weeks ago our perspective is the Bible fell out of heaven, right? And, and what do I mean by that? We just think the Bible, you know, God spoke it unconsciously. We just think God spoke it to some men and then they were writing. But that's not what happened, right? That's not what happened. As a matter of fact, there is, there is, ah, there is, there are very few stories. I think, except for the story of John, who wrote the book of Revelation, that's John the Beloved, right? I think, yeah, John the Beloved with the book of revelation there's hardly any other part of the bible or any other book of the bible where the instruction was given by god okay then the commandments that was given to moses right there are hardly parts in the bible where god says write this down what happened most times in the bible is men and women documented history does it make sense so when we start to understand that the bible is a human book when we start to understand that men and women simply documented experiences we start to see the bible in a different light right so um what exactly um am i talking about by by all of this I don't want to go into the details, right? Like I said, it was going to be a shallow explanation where we start to talk about the Masoretic text, the Septuagint. I, I was listening to a teaching by a professor of the Old Testament. His name is Tim Mackey. And um, you can listen to the teaching also. It's, you can find it on um, it, the title of the podcast is Exploring My Strange Bible, where he was talking about how the Bible has developed, where it started from. You know the sep um, the Masoretic te- Masoretic text referring to the first and original you know recording of the Bible. It was done in papyrus, not even on paper, right? And then there was the Septuagint, and how parts of the Masoretic text conflict with parts of the Septuagint text um, um, text, right? So what this goes to show us is if there's con, I don't want to. Let's not do this. Let's not do this. Let's not do this. The, the objective is not to cast doubt on your mind because this is a very sensitive teaching. If it goes the wrong way, you may think what I'm trying to teach you is that um, 
the Bible is not accurate, right? But basically what I'm trying to teach you is the Bible was documented by men and women over a long period of time. It's not like it just fell out of heaven. And the reason why that is significant is because if men and women wrote the Bible, we ought to analyze the Bible the way, I mean, the tools for analyzing the Bible lie with men and women. What am I talking about? This would lead us deeper into point two, right? So, the Bible has different literary devices. Why? Because men wrote it. I don't know if it makes sense so far. It's not like the Bible fell out of heaven. And so it is a literary device from heaven that cannot be analyzed by those on earth. No. Right? What, am I, what do I mean by literary devices? For those of you who were art students and did literary, literary, literary appreciation, you understand it better. What I mean is there's poetry, there's prose, there are literary, there are some, um, these are types of books, right? Poetry, prose, there are some literary devices like personification, there's irony, there's hyperbole, there's oxymoron, there's paradox, you know, there are all these literary devices. And what are they for? They are used to create emphasis at different points in the Bible. Now, why am I saying all this? If we read the Bible as a book that fell out of heaven, we are going to make a lot, a lot of mistakes. You know this technique that some people use, um, and don't feel bad if you are some people, because I think I was on this table at a point in my life also, where you put the Bible under your pillow. Am I shaking your table? Or, you know, the Bible is under your pillow, you or you, you pick the bible and you just open any page bam that page is the page for the night that's where the holy spirit wants you to talk to you from so at the first verse you read that is the take home that is the message that's the, me- the holy spirit talking to you or you close the bible and you pray holy spirit speak to me through your word and then you suddenly open bam ephesians chapter 2 verse 5 and you are reading and you read it and that's what the holy spirit wants to talk to you about that approach shows that you think the bible is a book that fell out of, from heaven so anywhere you open at any point in time automatically means that that is what the holy spirit wants to tell you that is a load of nonsense and it will only lead you into a lot of damage right so this is why i usually have a beef with people that isolate a particular text from the bible and then they build castles out of it i'll give you an example the story of um, King, um, what was this David's son? I think, well, I think it was Saul, Abby. King Saul. <laughs> Sorry, Solomon, Solomon. I can't believe I forgot that. King Solomon, right? When he became king, um, the Bible has it on record that he went to a mountain and he sacrificed many, 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 many animals to God, right? And then God was, God noticed him and then spoke to him and said, what do you want? And he said, I want wisdom. If you go by the approach of the bible is a book that fell out from heaven you know approach if you go by that approach and try to study the bible that way one of the conclusions you can make from that particular bible verse is if i want to hear the voice of god what i need to do is to climb a mountain and sacrifice many animals and god will talk to me stupid wrong approach that is not how to study your bible no 
what you are meant to do is read the Bible like a human book. You don't go studying medicine and you have a whole encyclopedia kind of book to read and you suddenly open to page 52 and you read two paragraphs and you make a conclusion out of that. You are going to kill people because you will be such a quack of a doctor. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you have to read the Bible the same way you would read any human book. You read it with the context and background in mind, right? So let us look. What are some of the types of books in the Bible? Now, let's do it this way. I'll, I'll just give you a rundown because this is already 51 minutes. Man, and time has gone. But we have just like one more point after this. So I think I can finish this in one hour, one hour, 15 minutes tops. So these are the types of books in the Bible, right? The first five books, that's Genesis to Deuteronomy, are the laws that were given to the Israelites. Now, the people of Israel were... Ah, yeah, I need more time. <laughs> The people of Israel were supposed to be God's example, right? And they were, also a, they were also a prophetic nation, right? So when God gave them those laws, the idea was this is your constitution. And if you study the history properly, the Israelites operated a theocracy. That means the laws of God were their constitution, right? The laws that Moses gave them were their constitution. So when somebody goes to the laws of Moses and picks up a law that says that when Mm, hold on let me explain in more detail before i go to this example so the laws of moses given to the israelites were particular quote and unquote to the israelites why do i say so they were particular because they fit the situation at that point in time what is an example of a situation at that point in time right there were no menstrual pads there were no sanitary pads why am i bringing this up one of the laws of Moses was when a woman is menstruating, she's meant to sit outside the camp of Israel and she's meant to sit on a pot, right? And menstruate into the pot. Why? Because there was no other way to stop the blood flow. And the woman was tagged unclean, quote and unquote, right? So when somebody who picks the Bible and, you know, goes with the perspective of it's a book that fell out of heaven, so everything that it says must be taken word for word, goes and picks up the Bible and reads that portion of the Bible and starts to see women who are menstruating as unclean and they should be put outside the camp or they should... There are churches that do this, that tell women to sit outside on their, when they are menstruating, right? And tell them to sit outside the camp or, you know, and maybe tell them to sit on a pot, are you starting to see the problem with studying the Bible like this? Right? Are you starting to see the problem with studying the Bible like this? So there is just a very huge picture that you have to understand. Right? The idea is not for you to un see. The truth is, you would spend your entire life studying the Bible, but you would not complete it. But you will continue to grow. That is the purpose. You are, you would, I beat my chest. Except, you know, by divine intervention, you wouldn't come to a point where you say everything it says I have understood. Even the people in whose language it was originally written, that is the Hebrews, do you know that some of them are still waiting for the Messiah? Some of them don't believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, right? That he was the Christ. So if the people in whose original language it was written still do not completely understand the book, how much more we in whose language over thousands of years it has been interpreted, we now decide, I mean, to read the Bible in that manner. The damage will be 
astronomical and that's what we see in the world today right so as i was saying the first five books genesis to deuteronomy are the laws then the 12 books that follow are historical books that's joshua to esther right you so you the same way you read historical human books are the same way you are expected to read the historical human books and the historical books in the bible then there are books of poetry for instance the psalms where david says if i make my bed in shield shield referring to hell that god is there there's no place i can escape from god's presence imagine reading that particular bible text literally can you i mean somebody has told me before that the way i teach the gospel is complicated i should use simple english blah 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 i felt very bad that day right but you know one thing i used to compensate myself was this is ridiculous you don't expect me to always speak plainly right the reason why these literary devices were given was so that you can ponder on them when somebody tells you if i make my bed in hell the first thing that comes to your mind is yo i don't think there are beds in hell yo i don't think you can make your bed in hell bruh i don't think making your bed is what will come to your mind if you are in hell right after that your mind starts to process oh i'm sure he's not talking about literally making his bed in hell the purpose of using these literary devices is so that you ponder on it right you ponder on it that's the purpose so the same way you read poems is the same way you are expected to read poetry in the bible and then there's prophecy so prophecy is basically um the plans of god revealed right and prophecies apply to particular situations so i think it's wrong that people i want to shake this table and i want to shake it very hard so one of the biggest challenges you are going to experience as you continue to do bible study as a believer is which prophecy applies to me and which prophecy only applies to a particular situation at a point in time for instance it would be biblically wrong because you know the bible tells us if we pray in accordance to the will of god our prayers will be answered right it would be biblically wrong right doctrinally wrong for us to pick up a prophecy that doesn't concern us at all or that speaks to a different situation and then you start trying to pray based on that prophecy you you won't see results so when people claim that oh christianity doesn't work oh i did this i did that chances are you have done it the wrong way right so it's the truth is the word of god requires more grace and diligence to be studied you can't study it we can't just keep doing it the way we are doing it it won't work right it won't work so what i've done basically with this point too is to tell you that the bible is divinely inspired right but it is a human book that was written by human beings and so when you study the bible it is expected that you use the same level of diligence you would use to interpret a human book to interpret the bible right you use the same tools necessary for interpreting poetry to interpret poetry in the bible you use the same tools necessary for interpreting history for understanding history to inter- to understand the historical books in the bible you don't just open anywhere and say this is where the holy spirit spoke to me from you don't just pick up any prophecy now look this is you may feel discouraged right like like this is a lot of work but it's it pays to do the hard work and see the results right and as we said earlier 
at the start of the podcast that the result is that you are transformed into the fullness of the man that you are meant to be in Christ. So from the spirit of disobedience to the spirit of obedience, such that when you are given two options of good and evil, naturally it occurs to you to pick good, right? So that's the purpose of the Bible. So it pays to do the hard work and see the results. So um, I hope that has explained point two exhaustively, although it's shallow because I didn't go into all the technicalities of... Um, I wanted to do a bit on the Dead Sea Scrolls, Masoretic Text, Septuagint, you know, um, and how um, a particular um, nation of scribes, their entire assignment, you know, their entire life was dedicated to preserving and recording. <laughs> history, if you go into... Christian history, your mind will be blown. There is a particular tribe of people, right, that escaped. I think it was when, I've forgotten who the particular king in authority was, but they were, in, they were in rebellion. I think it was Babylon or Babylon or Assyria, I'm not sure. So they were in rebellion to that king and then they escaped into a cave and then they were recopying the Bible in that cave. So eventually the king came and killed all of them. But if you check on Google now for the Dead Sea Scrolls, you would see it there. The scrolls were literally discovered in a cave. And those scrolls are thousands of years old. But um, parts from every book of the Bible, except I think the book of Esther, was seen in each of those scrolls, right? So, I mean, it's just mind-blowing. Right, this gives credence to the Bible. It shows that it wasn't a book that some people just sat down somewhere and decided to write and you know just push to everybody. The fact that they could backdate those scrolls, they could get the exact age. Just Google it, you'd see what is the exact age of the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's everywhere on the internet. The information is not hidden. Anybody can study about it, right? I wanted to do a bit on that, but I don't have all my facts right, so better to hold my peace on it so let's go to the final point so we can round this up right so so far i have explained what the purpose of the bible is i have explained the literary categories in the bible and how we're meant to study them so i want to give us an example of studying the book of genesis and the bit of exodus in light of what i have just taught right now one major bone of contention in christian and scientific communities is the creation accounts it is believed there is no bone of contention ideally there is no bone of contention but because people do not understand then there is a bone of contention right it is believed that christians believe that you know genesis the book of genesis is the creation account the chronological creation account of the world and scientists say oh no that is not correct the creation account is actually the big bang theory that is um, i think it's darwinism or something i'm forgive me if it's incorrect so basically there is supposedly a faith creation account and then there is a scientific creation account but the mistake a lot of people make is the same mistake i just identified earlier in this episode we are treating the bible like it is a book that fell out from heaven i tweeted something recently i said science right as a tool to interpret the bible not science versus religion now what exactly is science science is basically thinking in a logical pattern such that it makes sense that you can you know you can prove something to everybody it makes sense right why should that ever be in opposition to faith and religion 
right? Why should he ever be in opposition to the word of God? Now, when the book of Genesis talks about the creation account, I, what I'm about to drop for you guys, it would change your view of the Bible. And I really wish I could go on for like maybe the next one hour, but let's, let's try to keep it short. When the Bible gives the creation account in the book of Genesis, right? We make a mistake when we think the book of Genesis is trying to show us a it's trying to show us a chronological account, a scientific account about creation. That is not the purpose of the book of Genesis. To answer the purpose of the book of Genesis, we must understand some key things. One, who was this book written to? Remember, I said that the Bible was written by men, right? For instance, if I ask you who wrote the book of Genesis, you, you guys will say Moses. Mm, I may not agree, right? True, Moses may have dictated or written some part of the book of Genesis. But if you go deep dive into the book of Genesis, you would see that even after Moses' death, you know, the, I think it's, which book records, um, I think it's, uh, I've forgotten. There is a, part of the Torah, part of the first five books, that Genesis to Deuteronomy. After Moses died, somebody was writing that and Moses died and God buried him. Who could have written that? Was it Moses? No! When you start to study, you realize that, you know, the Bible was written, (laughs) it was literally written by men. Another example is the book of Jeremiah. It is stated there clearly that the person that wrote the book of Jeremiah is a man named Baruch. Right? Baruch. The book of Peter was written by another person entirely. Read the Bible. It is there. I've, I've just forgotten their names, but it is there, right? And if you read the book of Peter, you will see that the, the, the structure of language, the quality of, 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 of words used in the book of Peter are greater than the kind of words that a fisherman could have used. Apart from that, it clearly states that, you know, there was a particular scribe that wrote the book of Peter, but Peter dictated the book. It's there. It's all there. You would see it, right? So, what am I going at with this? The book of Genesis is not a book that stands to contradict the scientific account of creation. Now, this does not mean that the scientific account of creation is correct. What I am saying is the book of Genesis, the purpose of that book is not to tell you that this is how the world was created. So what is the purpose of the book of Genesis, right? Now, we know of Abraham, right? God gave Abraham a promise. He said, from you, there will be a seed that would save the entire world, you know, that would, and the entire um, nation of the earth would be blessed by him. So from Abraham, the seed being referred to there was not Isaac. People think it was Isaac. It wasn't Isaac. The seed being referred to there was Jesus Christ. The promise was that through your lineage, right, the Messiah will be born and the entire nations of the earth would be blessed, right? How do we know that? The Bible says seed, not seeds, right? So the seed being referred to there, you know, you say Abraham will be the father of many nations. But when it comes to seed, the Bible doesn't say seeds. It says he will have numerous children, as numerous as the stars. But when it came to seed, he said seed and not seeds. And if you go to the book of Romans, Paul explains this in more detail, right? So the seed being referred to there in the promise to Abraham was the seed that was Jesus Christ. I was going to come from his lineage. 
Have you ever noticed that when you're reading the Bible, there are some books that just go through genealogy and Moses begat and this and that begat that and this begat this. It can go on for like three chapters. Do you know why that is important? Because when God gave Abraham the promise, he was proving by tracing the genealogy that for a fact, Jesus Christ came from this man. So what the Bible does is trace the genealogy from Abraham to Jesus Christ to show you that for a fact, the promise was delivered. And this seed did come from Abraham, right? You see, um, from Abraham, it was Isaac. From Isaac, um, Jacob and Esau. But Esau was rejected and it was Jacob. And, then from, and Jacob had 12 sons. And then, it, and then he moved to, I think it was, I think it was, I think, let me not go into all that. I don't have all the facts here. But basically, it traced the genealogy, right? Up to the point of Jesus Christ. That was the point, um, purpose of tracing all the genealogy. So, why exactly was the book of Genesis written? God had given Abraham a promise that he was going to have, you know, the seed was going to come from his lineage. Now, Abraham went to the promised land, which is Canaan, right? Eventually, there was, I think, famine in Canaan and God told him to go to Egypt and then the children of Israel eventually they developed in Egypt you know how Joseph was um, sold into slavery they migrated to Egypt and they were there for 400 years now I, it, the, the key question is if any family or tribe lives in a foreign land for 400 years what would happen to them they will become accustomed to that land I mean 400 years that's like two three lifetimes right I mean, in our age and time, in that age and time, it may have been one lifetime because those guys lead ridiculous number of years, some hundred and something, some ridiculous number of years, basically, right? So, the people of Israel had forgotten their history. They had forgotten the promise. They had forgotten that the Messiah was meant to come from them, right? Why had they forgotten? Because they were in Egypt for 400 years, so when god delivered his people from egypt the book of genesis was a recounting to remind them who they are and what what did moses do or whoever wrote the book by virtue of moses's dictation or whatever right moses recounted from the beginning this is what happened he recounted up to you know, where the promise told them the story of Abraham. That is why that book was written. So the book of Genesis wasn't written with the purpose of telling you how the world was created. As a matter of fact, the, in the beginning, in the first, you know, in the, like the first sentence of the Bible, most of us see in the beginning as at a point in time, right? In the beginning, at the start, when God started to create the world. What that in the beginning means in Hebrew, when you translate it back to the root word in Hebrew, it means around the time. Meaning, it's not even talking about at a point in time. It's like Moses saying, around the time when God started to create. It's not even talking about the start of time. It's just saying around the time when God started to to recreate the world, right? So, the purpose of the book of Genesis is to bring the people of Israel back to a remembrance of who they are, right? And the entire five books of the, first, of the Bible, the laws of God, is to remove them from the laws of Egypt, which they followed, to remove them from serving the gods of Egypt, which they were worshipping as idols, and to bring them to worshipping their God. Now, I'll give you more proof, right? Hopefully, I can round this up in 15 more minutes. I'll give you more proof. And this is what we're going to use to round everything up. How do we know 
that the book of Genesis, you know, and Exodus and all of that was to prove, was to show, to basically desensitize the children of Israel from Egyptian culture and sensitize them with um, God's culture, right? I'll give you an example. The 10 plagues, right? Do you know that we have made a mistake of thinking that the 10 plagues was just God's judgment on Egypt? Go back and read about the 10 plagues in the Bible. God says with the 10 plagues, he's going to pass judgment on who? On the gods of Egypt. Now, let us look at those 10 plagues. Let us even look at when God first sent Moses to Pharaoh. God says, take in your hand. You know, what God was trying to do, right? Which is what the book of Genesis and Exodus is about. Is to show that the gods you worshipped in Egypt are not the actual gods. I am God, right? So, when God sent Moses with his staff to Pharaoh and said, throw the staff on the floor, it will become a snake. When Moses threw the staff on the floor, the other Egyptians, the magicians in Egypt, by the power of their own gods, threw their staffs on the floor and it also became snakes. But what happened? Moses' snake swallowed every other snake. First symbol that God was saying to the Israelites, I am God above all other gods. So, where there are snakes, I am chief snake. Does it make sense? That is the symbolism in that particular part of the Bible. You see this recorded, I think it's in the book of Exodus, right? You start to understand why these books were written in the first place. It wasn't written to you, but it was documented for your benefit. It was written to the children of Israel to show them that God is sovereign. I am bringing you out of this land. I want you to drop their gods and I want you to worship me. Why? Because I am sovereign and I am proving it to you by swallowing every other snake. Point number one. Now let's look at the 10 plagues. When God said he was going to send the 10 plagues, he said he was going to pass judgment on the gods of Egypt. Now, look at the 10 plagues. If you look at the gods of Egypt, eh, the gods of Egypt were in were dependent on create on the creation. What do I mean by this? There was a god of the sun, there was a god of the waters, there was a god of the earth, there was a god of flies, there was a god of disease. Right? Is it making sense so far? So let us look at God showing the Egyptians and Israel that me, I am the sovereign God, the gods you serve are not gods, right? But they, 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 they are my creation and they bow down to me in obedience. When God turned the um, river now to blood, he was passing judgment on Kum. So Kum is the guardian of the rivers, or of the source of the river of, of Nile, right? And, and, and another god called Happy, the spirit of the Nile, that's H-A-P-I, right? The symbolism there is, you guys worship a god of the waters, but I have subdued his authority. I am showing you that I am above the God of the waters by turning the waters to wine, right? There was another God called Os- Osiris, right? And the Nile was supposedly this God's bloodstream, right? So God is telling you, what you worship, I show you that I am God above it by turning it to blood. When God sent the plague of frogs, there's a particular God right uh, also related to happy h-a-p-i he's she is supposedly the goddess of frogs right so god is telling you i can send and as a matter of fact when the plagues of frogs ended the plug the, the frogs were stacked up in heaps and they were stinking meaning these goddess of frogs that you guys worship right see that i am god 
I sent these frogs and I killed these frogs and your land stinks from these frogs. So how can you worship a God that I have power over? If you read through all of the 10 plagues, you will see that each of them was a judgment against a God of Egypt. Read about um, the plague of lice. It was judgment against a God called Seb, S-E-B. That is the earth God of Egypt. The lice ate up the, uh, sorry, that was the locust. They ate up the, the produce of the land of Egypt. If you read about flies, there was a God called Utachi. Or not was, there is a God called Utachi that the Egyptians worship. I don't know if they still do, or maybe they still have some sects that do, right? The name of the god is Utachi. He is the fly god of Egypt, right? You, you need to ask yourself these questions. That why was it this particular plague? Why did he decide to use flies? Why didn't he use thunderbolts? Why didn't he cause an earthquake? It's because, see, when I tell people that everything in the Bible is related to the salvation story, right? This is it. This is God telling the children of Israel, I am sovereign over these gods that you have become accustomed to in the land of Egypt, right? The disease on cattle, the plague, there's a god called Ta, another god called Hathor. These gods were related to cows and bulls. So what the message God was passing with the 10 plagues was, I am sovereign over all of these gods. I am sovereign over creation, right? And even, I'm not even going to go into that part. So basically, he was telling everybody i am passing judgment over the gods of egypt to show everybody without a doubt that i am sovereign over creation right and finally the final plague death of um the egyptians firstborn that one was purely judgment on the egyptians remember the story um when pharaoh told the midwives to kill the male children of um the Israelites, right? But they didn't do it. Then Pharaoh gave a command that every first, every male child, I think is um, every male child should be killed, right? I think two years and below should be thrown into the river, right? Into the river now and be killed. So God was basically visiting, giving them a taste of their own medicine. So judgment on the Egyptians. And finally, to show his sovereign power, right? He showed his power over the land of Egypt because then Egypt was the superpower in the world. The same way we know USA as the superpower in the world today. Egypt was the superpower and he showed his sovereignty over even Egypt when he told the Israelites, these Egyptians you see today, you will see them no more, right? And he swallowed them up in the Red Sea. Are you seeing the significance of these stories? When you understand that the book of Genesis was not written to you, but it was documented for your benefit. You start to understand that, you know, you read the Bible from a different perspective. You no longer say things like, oh, God is wicked. He's a God of anger. Why was he passing on plagues? Why did he kill the Egyptians firstborn? You start to understand it from the salvation perspective. You start to see everything that God did, that he called a people and told them they are a nation of kings and priests and said through them the promise that he gave in the garden of eden that the seed will bruise the serpent's head he said that seed is going to come through their lineage and is going to save the entire humanity and he called his people out of egypt right and brought them to canaan some of us may ask why canaan well canaan was the center of the known world at that point in time so if you look at the graph of um, i say graph the map of the known see all this is just complex stuff if you look at the map of the known world what i mean by the known world then the world was seen as a flat surface right 
and if you go over the edge, you will fall off. So when people drew the map of the known world, Canaan was at the center, right? Same way, quote-unquote, Africa is at the center of the known world today, right? So if Canaan is at the center, God's chosen people who will, be, who will have a culture of God will be able to easily spread the gospel into... Now, this is... Um, the explanation given by some theologists, some theologians, sorry, right, it's not found in the Bible, that the people of Israel will be able to disperse the gospel easily to the rest of the world, right? So that was the purpose of Canaan, but that's not um, very material to what we're learning today. So the point I'm trying to make is, when you are studying books in the Bible, stop reading them as if, you know, everything should be taken at face value. You need to stop and ask yourself, why was this book written? Who was it written to? For instance, all the letters to the churches, Ephesians, Romans, Corinthians, Thessalonians. Do you know what you are doing? It's like your manager at work sends a mail to you. And then I reach into your computer and then I start reading your mail. But I am reading that mail as if it was written to me. That's ridiculous. All those letters, we are basically reading people's mail. They were letters sent to churches. Paul was writing them to churches. So what you need to do when you are studying those books is was this letter written to what was the writer trying to communicate right what would the recipient have understood from these letters for instance in yoruba if i say what it means is it affected me so much i felt it it pained me but if you interpret that in english it means if you interpret it literally it means he tore my flesh and ate it but that's not what the writer intends right so you need to ask yourself these questions what did the writer intend when he wrote this book what was he trying he or she trying to communicate what was the key message here what would the recipient have seen now what is the message to me from this this would change how you do bible study and one rule of thumb right for bible study when you're studying the bible is if you are studying any part of the bible and the conclusion you are drawing from it is far away from salvation story. You are, it is wrong. You can easily decide this is wrong. For instance, you read about Solomon who went to sacrifice many cattle and sheep and whatever on a mountain. And your conclusion is, if I do that, you know, God is going to speak to me audibly. And then I, I can ask him for wisdom and I'll be the wisest man on earth. You have a wrong interpretation. You have a wrong conclusion right or you read the laws and you haven't done any background you haven't you're not reading it in context and you see a woman on her menstrual cycle is unclean oh she should not touch me otherwise i shall become unclean you have you have a wrong conclusion right so we've come to the end of this right i hope this hasn't been you know i'm sure i'm sure it has been a fire hose right it's like just turning on a fire hose on your face and you're trying to drink from that so there's a lot of information just packed into it and um despite that and despite how lengthy this is i hope that you know you are able to pick a couple of things that would help and aid your own spiritual growth and um you know everybody can gradually come to the fullness of the men and women who would naturally pick good by virtue of the spirit of obedience which is the holy spirit in us 
that we would experience the fullness of God's salvation, right? And um, it just hits my mind to say that I think there are some of us that have a lot of questions. And there are some of us that just find this um, thing about Christianity as just very unpopular, right? You have the, deep in your mind, you know, there's this nudge about if I start this, how will people see me, you know? You don't, it's not on the surface of your mind, but it's somewhere deep, right? If you do a bit of soul searching, you just know that it's there, right? I just want to say to you that, you know, you are right to feel that way. It is very controversial and people would see you a sort of way when, if you do decide to, you know, take the decision and start to study and hear the gospel and believe it, right? People would see you a sort of way, but here's the good news. There is a community you wouldn't believe how big it is. I didn't believe how big it was until I got into the community. You know when the Bible says, or all those pictures you see, that um, the kingdom, the, the narrow road and the wide road, the wide road, the gate that leads to hell, is filled with thousands of people, and the narrow road, the way that leads to heaven, is just one person on it. You know, it's, you know those pictures are lies, right? Because the Bible tells us that from the days of John the Baptist, that is since when John the Baptist started to preach, the kingdom of God suffered violence. You know what that means? It means people are stampeding into the kingdom of God. So all those pictures where you see one person versus 1,000 people, it's a lie. There is such a large community of believers. I mean, it's even on Twitter alone, I can't tell you how big a community of believers, of people who want to grow, of people who have experienced what it is that we are teaching and they've confirmed that it's true and you know internally you hear testimonies i suffered from this addiction i am free you know you hear testimonies right i hear them every day how people i don't even want to go into the charismatic ministration yet the how people are healed and look i have i have seen right i have let me, let me not make this podcast, this episode any, any longer, right? So what I'm basically telling you, if you are in that category of people that are just struggling genuinely, right? I'm, I, nobody is condemning you that you struggle with it. It's, it's okay that you struggle with it, but take some confidence in the fact that there is such a large community of people willing to accept you. So you would never be alone. You would never have to do this thing on your own, right? As a matter of fact, the church is God's... See... Let's, let's put a pin on it here. Let's put a pin on it here. So, um, thank you very much for listening to this. Um, please follow me on Twitter. I make a lot of noise about the gospel on Twitter. And I also shake tables and I drag people from time to time. Yep, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at bio underscore OG. Or you can just search for bio of the Holy Spirit. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. I hope it has blessed you. And this is me signing out now. Bye-bye.